This is Episode 8 of the Clockwise Podcast from the editors of TechHive, PC World, and Macworld for the first week of September 2013. Clockwise, four guests, four topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the topical tech talk that tests timing. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin. Uh, and sitting across the table from me, as always, is my co-host, Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Dan. How's, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. It's been a big, big week for news and just, I guess, it's only like Tuesday. So that's, that says something, I guess. Yeah, it is a big, uh, big week. Lots to talk about. And we'll talk about some topical stuff and some not topical stuff. Sitting to my left is Macworld and TechHive Executive Editor, Jonathan Seth. Hi, John. Hey, Jason. It's good to have you. Thank you. And sitting to my left is Tech Hive Senior Editor Mark Sullivan. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Hello. Pretty good. Nice to be here. Thanks for being with us. So let's uh, go over our four matches for everybody listening at home, as I'm sure they are, or in their cars. Or wherever if you missed the first seven. Yeah. You know, I, we want you to be able to pick this up wherever. There's no continuity, really. No. Um, except for that thing that happened in episode three. But Dan, Dan was possessed by an alien. And, briefly. Uh, briefly. But, Jason died, but we brought him back. Yeah, I was resurrected. Sure. Yeah, so a good time. So in um, less than thirty minutes. Yeah, it's we we get a lot of done. Um, so each of us has brought a technology topic that is worth we think is worth discussing today. And we don't want to waste anybody's time, so we're going to spend five minutes on each of the topics. And because I am the co-host, and as we know, co-hosts always get to do whatever they want. And possessed by an alien too. Yeah, that we also get to do Continuity. whatever we want when possessed by an alien. It's true. So I'm going to go first, and then the. Fair uh, enough. Yeah, what, what, what do we do after that? Well, we'll, we'll the action will move clockwise, Clockwise, I guess. yeah. Just arbitrarily. I flipped a coin before the show. We'll go clockwise today. Um, so to start it off, uh, I'm going to talk about what is probably the, the biggest news of the day, amazingly, and the day that other big stuff happened, which is that Apple has confirmed that they will have an event next week on September 10th. And it's expected that they will announce a new iPhone. But all we really know from the invitation is colors. <laughs> so... Uh, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about the iPhone going gold, um, and I'm just kind of curious. We, I feel like colors are this thing that go in waves. Is this an attractive thing? Are we are we back to sort of, I mean, the fashionization, if you will, of technology? What are your thoughts on on colorful gadgets? And do you like them, or do you prefer something a little more monochrome? We'll go. To my left, to Mark Sullivan. Uh, you mentioned fashion. I, I kind of think the opposite way. Uh, colors strike me, especially the gold color, as sort of the defashionization, if you will, of, of these devices. I, I, I don't find it a very uh, appealing idea at all. Um, I, I think the way that, uh, that they look now is probably better than a color option, although, you know, I am old and uh, potentially younger people might have a very different opinion uh, of that. That's, a, that's, that's fair enough. I, I, yeah, there's some tackiness in some of it potentially. But I, I don't know. Apple, Apple has a way of, of making things like that look sleek and good, so it's possible they could, they could do that. What, Jason, what do you think? You know, I, I don't think it's. I don't think colors are the way of the future. They're they're in some ways the way of the past. I think you're right that it's cyclical. Uh, obviously, um, Jonathan Ives' first uh, time in the spotlight was when the original iMac came out, and it was Bondi blue, and there were many colorful iMacs that followed in the successive years. And we see it with the um, the iPod uh, Nano and Shuffle, and uh, even the iPod Touch now. So, getting some color in the line, it provides some variety. Right now, people who are iPhone users have to use cases. 
to add kind of a touch of color and that uh, touch of personality. If you're in a home that's got several iPhones, it's a good differentiator. This is the blue one. This is the green one. This is the red one. Uh, so I think that I think offering color options is good. Um, I really do like the the black and white with the uh, with the silver um, aluminum finish. Uh, I think it's a good look. I, I have the black iPhone 5, and I really like it. So I'm not sure I would opt for a colored iPhone, but I think it's great that those options are out there because um, you know I'm not the only market for this. And when you talk about the gold iPhone, I think the answer there is that, that for some people, uh, for lots of people, this is a fashion product. And so the more variety, the more options you've got, the better it fits into whatever their personal fashion sense is. So that makes sense to me. Well, as you know, as Jason mentioned and pointed out, it's not like colors or anything new for Apple. I'm looking on the, the store page right now at the various iPods. And Except for the iPod Classic, which isn't really an iPod anymore. It's just sort of a lingering product. <laughs> All the iPods that Apple sells come in multiple colors. The iPod Touch is the iPhone without the phone for the most part. So, you know, they're already doing that. And as Jason also said, you know, you, you've got cases. Everyone has to do something to differentiate their phone. When my dad got an iPhone, he said, I want the most gaudy, bright, ugly case you can find so I don't lose it. And so having that differentiation I think is really important. And, you know, what what is it, the Mo- Moto X? Is that the uh, Yeah, right. Phone? This we're, is what, what the, Google and Motorola are doing as the, well. The whole idea there is complete customization with colors and everything. And, you know, I think that's a little bit over the top because you can just get a case if you want it and, and sticking with some basic stuff I think makes more sense. But having an extra color option for the regular iPhone and then the so-called iPhone C, 5C that we, you know, we're seeing stuff about, having that in a series of colors brings it more in line with the iPod Touch and the, the iPod family. So I, I, don't, I don't see any problem. And, and also, I think it's going to be champagne, clearly not gold. Uh, because that's, gold. that's class. Bronze. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that the fashionization stuff, and, and Jason, you mentioned the iMac, the original iMac, which of course came in colors. And I was thinking back over all the Macs I've owned, and I only owned one ever that was not either silver black or like that old like pucy color of the old gross beige yeah um and that was i owned a g3 i have a power mac g3 tower which was blue and white right um which i liked but uh, you know i never owned any of those iMacs and everything and i've stuck pretty pretty much with the black iphone since i had it although the there was rumors about a, a silver one like sort of a silvery colored back uh, iPhone 5S with black, you know, the black front and everything. I thought that actually looked pretty good. I would, I would consider it. And you can use but it to kill werewolves too. That's the most important thing. And mm-hmm. as we learned from episode four, uh, yes. werewolves are everywhere. <laughs> that, was, are. that was when Jason they became are. a werewolf. Folks, you got to listen to the back archive. Seriously, you have missed out how on it. How, how did Dan cure you of that? You know, we never explained it, but um, I think oh. if you read between the lines, I think there's foreshadowing there's, there's there. something there. Yeah. Episode deep nine. Catalog. Yeah. So uh, that's that's my topic. Thank you all for, for weighing in on that. And I'll, I'll pass it to uh, Mark for his topic. Great. Thanks. The New York Times this morning has a story about surveillance. It's one of uh, seemingly a string of stories since the, the PRISM scandal that have come out with new realizations uh, about what uh, the government is doing. This time, um, uh, the DEA, uh, it has been found out, has been using a 
what appears to be a gigantic AT&T database of phone records going back to 1987 uh, to investigate suspected drug runners, drug pushers, drug traffickers, what have you. And um, this, of course, has been pretty much under wraps. It's called the Hemisphere Program. And the fact that this is uh, housed in an AT&T database on AT&T property is significant because it's it represents what we're seeing more and more, the government outsourcing um, all this data that they can access at any time with sort of a rubber stamp court order. Um, and it's not their data. It's somebody else's data and therefore um, the data can be kept longer. Uh, more things can be done with the data um, without violating any, any laws that we, that we know about. Um, so it's, it's just the next chapter. Um, privacy, people are up in arms about it once again and uh, another interesting uh, development. Yeah, I uh, I look at this and um, what's fascinating to me about this story is that AT&T, uh, it sounds like it's an unprecedented level of access and it's not something that they actually have, the government has with other phone companies. And I know AT&T does a lot of routing of all sorts of different uh, different carriers, and so anything that passes through their network can be looked at here. You know, I, I'm generally troubled by the close ties between the government and uh, large corporations, large communication companies. They're, you know, they're regulated by the government. I wonder how much fear of reprisal if they don't behave. Obviously, there can be court orders and things like that, but it, I do wonder sometimes whether this is not about being forced to do things and dragging their feet, but more like, hey, we can be a partner and that'll be good for our business and and prioritizing that over the customers. And that's what that what, what concerns me because we have this idea that there is private corporation stuff and then there's the government and then the government can ask to look at what's private. And when you see things like this, the, what troubles me is the blurred lines where suddenly, you know, the government's already there. They're in the data center. It's not a private space anymore. It's really a, pub, a public space, um, whether I like that or not, that it already is a de facto public space because the government is there. That That's what bothers me about it. John, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Tr- troubling is a good word. Um, I, I'm surprised that AT&T has the technological uh, you know, fortitude to actually have 25 plus years of call data stored somewhere because they've been so <laughs> on tapes, right? Magnetic they, tapes. <laughs> they, they've been so. You know, I, I've had AT and T phone service, uh, landline, and and then iPhone for such a long time, and I've had so many problems yeah. over the years that I'm really surprised they've been able to to manage such a thing. Um, it. The the other interesting thing is I, I've read some of these other stories about how much money the government has paid these private corporations to for this stuff. So it's not just the government comes knocking and says, hey, you know, um, n- nice, uh, nice phone service you got there. It would be a shame if something happened to <laughs> it. But also, you know, the fact the government's paying billions of dollars to these private companies to access their data and it, it's – yeah. I, I, it, it boggles the mind. If you really, I mean, if you think about it like that, it's, I mean, it's it's like 
I'm paying my own money, my own tax dollars to let somebody potentially violate my privacy. I mean, it's, it can be. <laughs> now we're, paying, we're all paying AT&T And even if you're more. an AT&T yeah. shareholder, then it probably comes back, you know, to, to – goes, yeah. goes back into your retirement funds. Dan Warren, yeah, did, you, um, did you get a, a, a vibe of The Wire from this story? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that it, was what it, I, I was thinking. I've, I've been rewatching it recently too. So that's that, – that meshes ni- nicely. The thing that gets me about this as, you know, the, the outrage – dulls in some ways when you have all these repeated, you know, news breaking. It's like, can I even be surprised anymore? Oh, the government's in cahoots with corporations that have all our information. Shocker, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Um, but at the same time, that is that is kind of bad because it's sort of as you get inured to it, they feel like they can get away with more and more. So it's certainly troubling um, to have. And, and more to the point, it makes you wonder about all the other information that you've put in places where it can be stored, right? I mean, think about how much other information, you know, we've seen the revelations about PRISM from plenty of the big sites and tech companies that we use. But think about how much information resides in your computer, on your iPhone, all of that. And, you know, the thing I used to teach um, – in college, in my undergraduate years, I sort of taught the orientation course for, you know, setting up your account on our on our network and all that. And the thing we always stressed was, you know, don't post anything, don't post or write anything in an email that you wouldn't want to see on the front page of the New York Times. Um, and that because in, in one case that had actually happened to some students at my school uh, earlier. And so, you know, at this point, that's one of those things I think you have to sort of take a standard operating procedure is – you know, don't don't put anything in there that you wouldn't want to see, you know, have the government have access to in some ways, which sounds awful. Like you should have a reasonable right to privacy. But, you know, I think there's a there's a two pronged approach there, one being sort of the practical application from yourself and the other being sort of like the legislative approach of petitioning your your congressman or whatever to to see what they can do to change this law um, or change the enact laws that prevent this kind of violation. But, you know, in the meantime, you really you just you got it's a fact of life nowadays. You just got to be used to it, which is which is terrible. But it just kind of is. Thanks for bringing me down, Dan. All right. Um, next uh, week, <laughs> we'll we'll uh, we'll move on to the next topic. Um, some other big news that happened this week is Microsoft bought most of the parts of Nokia, including what we think of as Nokia, the the phone business of Nokia. Um, so let's see. Microsoft makes its own game console hardware. It makes its own tablets with the Surface, which is really kind of a laptop tablet hybrid. It is now uh, the owner of a phone making uh, company, a hardware company to go with its software. So traditionally, Microsoft made Windows and let all the PC partners make the PCs. And that's still going on. But Microsoft seems to have changed its tune and is now in getting really deeply into the integrated hardware and software business. Now, they say they are still going to have partners and take care of their partners and all that. But if you, look at, if you look at what they're doing, if you look at what Apple's whole product line is, and if you look at what um, Google did in buying Motorola, I have to ask the question, what does this mean for companies that don't have their own software assets? Would you be a partner of Microsoft if, if, for Windows Phone if Microsoft is making their own phones under the Nokia brand? It, it seems to me like this is we're seeing a transformation of uh, what it means to be a company who makes these products and that hardware has to be a part of it, which is not where Microsoft came from. So I'm sort of looking for whether you want to talk about the licensees or you want to talk about what this means for Microsoft. Just your take, quick take on uh, Microsoft and Nokia. John? Well, over the last you know 15 years of covering tech, I've learned that you can always take Microsoft at its word. So if it <laughs> sure. if it says that licensees at Microsoft get, word, that, that if it, <laughs> I take it at it's <laughs> Excel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's strange. 
you know, so if they say that that uh, that you know licensees will get the same treatment, you know, with the operating system, then of course they will. No, of course, you know, it's it's going to make a difference. Um, no, you know, Windows Phone, Windows Phone Eight is that what we're, we're calling it now? Sure. Um, Windows Phone Eight Super Champagne Edition uh, Update Two. Um, it's you know, there's there's iOS, there's Android, and then there's hey, look, we're we're here and. People that like the Windows phone experience like it. But right now, the best phones, maybe the only phones, are the ones that Nokia makes. They're um, not the only, but they no, are but, the best. They are the, the, the Lumias. Lumia. Yep. Yeah, those are, those are sort of the best phones out there. So, you know, in a sense, Microsoft was already partnering with Nokia. And I'm sure there was a lot of back and forth there trying to make these really good hardware, software mixes to make those good products. So, but if you're HTC and you're making Android phones, but Google's got Motorola, and you're making Windows phones, but Nokia and Microsoft are now together, you know what the heck? What do you do? Yeah, I could see a real problem there. I, I mean, I'm I'm supposed to license this software and pay for it, and then I have to go out and sell against Nokia phones that are, you know, running that and, and tightly. Or owned by Microsoft now, that doesn't sound like a very friendly proposition to me. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm sure that there was. I mean, I, some people are saying at the bottom of this uh, that the reason it happened is because Nokia was about to go bankrupt. Some people are saying, and uh, others are saying that the reason this happened now is because Nokia was about to give up on Windows 8 uh, because they can't they can't make break even with with this OS. Um, so I you know I, I think those possibly are the of the are the root. Uh, uh, forces behind this, but you know it does bring up some really serious implications for. I mean, just competitively, strategically. Well, you know, it's interesting. I commented this morning that it was funny to me that after years and years of people saying Apple needs to license its OS and do things Microsoft's way, that Microsoft went out and bought a hardware company so that it could do things the Apple way. <laughs> um, and they do have these licensees left. But I was looking it up this morning because I was kind of curious. There's only three major licensees. It looks like for Windows Phone 8, which are HTC, Samsung, and I'm going to mispronounce it, Huawei? Huawei? Huawei. 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 Um, and each of them only has like roughly one phone at yeah. a time, it seems. And they, I don't think they sell the very ob- well. I think they're called the obligatory Windows Phone Yeah, model. basically. So I, I think I can't see why those companies wouldn't say, hey, we can save a bunch of money by not making a Windows right. Phone or <laughs> buying that license from Microsoft. So yeah. Yeah. why bother? Um, and at least on Android side, we can tweak it, we can customize it, and it's free to us right now. Yeah, Motorola, Google has Motorola, and they're building their own phones. But A, they're you know only kind of slowly ramping up there. And B, again, like I said, it's free, and you can tweak it you know, to your heart's content. So that gives a lot more opportunity for those companies like Samsung, which has done an you know, amazing job of sort of turning Android into its own brand, um, of you know putting their stamp on their own on these things. So I, I don't know if it'll help Microsoft at the bottom line. I know a lot of people have said positive things about Windows Phone 8, um, but certainly it hasn't done as well as I'm sure Microsoft would have liked it to. But you know, maybe this is just way Microsoft's way of going down and taking Nokia with it. Yeah. Thanks, Steve Ballmer. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 going to sink into the sea together. Don't or let float. the door hit you on the way out, Steve. Yeah. yeah. All right. Very interesting stuff. Thanks, everybody. Um, John, it is your turn. All right. Well, today Amazon announced a new program starting next month, um, and that will allow people who buy physical books, people still buy those, Amazon still sells them, to yes. get the Kindle ebook version of the book for somewhere between free and $3. 
Um, they haven't specified which and 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 how that'll so work. It's going to vary by book. Yeah, and and so right now it looks like it's maybe just one of the book publishers and some of its various uh, imprints, but it's really interesting because you know Amazon did this. Amazon sells CDs, and Amazon is an MP3 store. So a little while back, they they did this auto rip program that if you buy a CD, you can get the MP3s already um, into your Amazon Cloud Player account, and it would go back in history and look at purchases you've made and do the same. And this is supposed to do the same thing. You you buy a book now or you bought a book at any point from Amazon, they'll let you do this and sort of upgrade to to include the ebook. And it it's really interesting because Amazon, you know, is one of the few places that sells um, – well, I, I guess retail stores, but you know, as a as a giant that sells both physical media, CDs, and books, and then sells, you know, Kindle and MP3 stuff at the same time, and it, it just struck me as really interesting to see. You know, is this is this the future of of media consumption? You know, is everything going to be packaged together? And you know, I what I would love to see would be you buy a DVD. You automatically get the you know a ripped version of it um, to download somewhere because that's what people want too, and and there's this whole piracy problem. So, I you know what what do people think about this new program? Oh, and by the way, it's called Matchbook, which I think is great because <laughs> it sounds like you know Fahrenheit four fifty one something you would use to burn the physical book, and then you know yeah, like, like a Kindle. <laughs> yeah, well, sure they, they do like, like kindling. They do like their fire, fire metaphors. metaphors. So you know, I I I love the idea of it um, because I do. Like that idea of you know I buy a, I buy I still buy hardcover books occasionally and and getting a free ebook version that I could read while I was away like oh hey I can pull this up on my phone so I don't have to lug a hardcover around with me but when I'm at the house I can read a hardcover book is a, is a great idea um, and it's one of those things that was really easy to do as far as CDs went right because you just pop it in and rip it <laughs> ripping a book is a little more time consuming um, and so I like that idea I'm kind of curious about the sustainability of it in terms of. You know who gets that money? Is that is three dollars really even worth three dollars? Like, who is that money go to the publishers? Go to Amazon? Um, how is that going to work? But I, I love the idea of getting that inclusive. Now, my my major concern with it is that it is a Kindle book, which means that you're kind of locked to Kindle as a platform, um, and would certainly like to see more stuff that's available across platforms. But um, I'm in favor of the 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 variability. I don't think that you know. Physical books are going away anytime soon, despite the advances made in, in ebooks. Um, and so, having that choice and being able to decide at any given moment, how do I want to consume this media? It, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's a very smart move, even though, you know, <laughs> comes on the heels of Apple getting their wrist slapped for the uh, ebook price fixing thing. And Amazon's certainly not wasting any time to try and capitalize on <laughs> taking over this industry entirely. Uh, I agree. I think uh, the reality is that a lot of people use both. I think people still like hardcover or, or physical books and, and they like ebooks. So uh, I think this does reflect a desire that's out there. My first reaction to it was on the zero to three dollar bit that they're getting greedy, that, you know, they should use this as a way of promoting the the Kindle platform and don't try to charge for the digital version of, of the book the same way that they don't charge for the uh, the way they do it with, with music. Um, but after John mentioned um, the possibility of doing this on the video side, it occurred to me that, you know, the price demand is probably coming from the publisher. It's probably the book publishers that are telling Amazon that uh, there has to be some money changing hands if, if this, if this happens. 
Yeah, I I buy lots of Blu-rays now that come with digital copies, and it seems perfectly reasonable. And I will opt for that if I, uh, with the exception of the new Star Trek one where they dropped all the special features, and they, all the special features were just on iTunes. I just went with iTunes then. But generally, I like that idea. I can get the disc. It's high quality. It's got all the extra features, and it comes with a digital copy that I can load on my tablet or on my smartphone. And I think that's uh, I think it's a natural approach. Uh, paper books are going to be a premium product for people who enjoy the feel of paper books. Um, so it's an added value in that book and added convenience to the user, to the buyer of the book. Um, do books have users? They have buyers and readers. Uh, to to have them be accessible in that way. I can buy this book and know that I, if I want to read it on my Kindle, I can do that too. I think that's good. I think it's a good thing. Um, and we should be seeing that with all, all form of physical media, that there should be comics the same way. I know the comics industry is exploring this, the idea that you buy a comic at a comic book store and it comes with a code to get the digital version of that on Comixology. It's just, it's smart. It's the right, right way to do it. I think it's a good idea. All right, good topics all, and that means that it's time for our bonus question where I ask you something that isn't as topical um, and put you on the spot, and I've asked all sorts of ridiculous questions. This one isn't that ridiculous. I would like to know what computer you use day in, day out, at work or at home or however you want to answer that question. And uh, we'll start with John. Uh, I have three computers at home I'm using, a 27-inch iMac, a 13-inch MacBook Air, and a Mac Mini server at home. And at work, I have a Mac Pro, so I'm using the entire um, Apple product uh, line, line, basically. Well, wow, crazy. Dan Moran, how many computers do you have in service? Uh, Three, currently. I have a iMac that's sort of my de facto work machine, although it's it's ended up um, falling second to my MacBook Air, which is an 11-inch model, which I know Jason, Jason yeah. likes. Um, and I use that both for traveling <laughs> and for doing stuff when I'm, when I'm on the road, as well as I have it hooked up to a uh, cinema display at home. And then, like John, I have a Mac Mini media server hooked up to my HDTV, which I use to consume a variety of TV and music and movies and that kind of stuff. Right? Yum, yum. Mark? Uh, kind of similar. I have um, a 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro at home hooked up to an HD monitor. I think it's a 27 or a 29-inch. Um, I also have a uh, Mini sitting there um, uh, to store content. And at work, I use uh, also a MacBook Pro at work. Wow. <laughs> So this is this is hilarious. This is the hey. How similar are these four people? Uh, I have an eleven inch, eleven inch MacBook Air, like Dan. Uh, I use that for almost everything. That's my primary computer. When I come to work, I plug it into a Thunderbolt display, um, and have an external keyboard and, and mouse for it. I do have a Mac Mini server at home, hiding behind my TV. That's got a bunch of hard drives attached to it. That's where I keep all my stuff. Uh, and uh, but that's that's it. That's that's what I use. The 11 inch is my main system for almost everything. So that was not a not a single PC anywhere. In intriguing, there intriguing. <laughs> I should have invited different people and gotten some more PC users in the in the game. Sorry about that. So uh, so Dan, I think we're we've reached the end. Yeah. Well, we we've, we've been carefully watching that clock as we um, do, which which takes forward. So that's that's literally all the time we have. So Mark Sullivan, thank you for being here. Good times. Thanks. And John Steph, thank you for being here. Thank you. So until next time, from all of us here at the Clockwise Podcast, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh! <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh no, Dan, I need the silver iPhone. Shoot me with your, the silver iPhone before I kill again.